The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We live in a fast-paced, hectic world where it is easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing your sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Master Your Life, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories from many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day in the quest to master your life. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin. Welcome to Master Your Life, the show of insight, intelligence, and inspiration, where we ask you to consider where you are in your life today and where it is that you would really like to be. Uh, I'm host Leah Mattinson, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Dr. Howard Rankin. Howard, how are you doing this week? Uh, I am pretty good, thank you. Um, How are you? You've been on the road, and you've had all sorts of exciting adventures. I wonder how settling back in has been for you. (laughs) <laughs> well, exciting adventures is a really great way to put it. So, yeah, we've been uh, on the road as we, as we typically are on the road and uh, working. And, and um, uh, we, uh, Dwayne and I have lots of irons in the fire. And for our listeners, uh, most of you uh, who follow along with the show realize that I'm uh, gene positive for Huntington's disease and have written a book uh, called Silver Linings, uh, The Essential Guide to Building Courage, Self-Esteem and Wellness. And uh, so we've been, uh, you know, traveling around and talking with people people about uh, just that whole idea of building a, a healthy lifestyle. I've been so blessed on this show to have wonderful guests who talk about lifestyle as medicine regularly. Um, this week, uh, we were chatting with some friends who were looking to buy insurance for their family. And uh, nothing's changed really in the, in the past several years. In the Huntington's community, it's very, very difficult to get life insurance. In fact, um, for most families, it, it's impossible, completely out of reach. So that's um, when you think about uh, in Canada anyway, healthcare is like a very uh, readily available and accessible thing. And, to, and for most people, getting life insurance is not even a difficulty. But for people uh, with Huntington's disease or other genetic problems in their families, it's a very serious um, uh, problem. So uh, what's happening in Canada right now is that there has been a coalition formed of people who are really fighting to um, have some protective legislation passed. And we're just so lucky today to have with us Bev Heimmeyers from uh, the Huntington Society of Canada. Bev is the CEO of uh, the HSC, and she has been the CEO since 2010. She is currently the chair of the Canadian Coalition for Genetic Fairness. Uh, She is the past treasurer of the Governing Council of the Health Charities Coalition of Canada and is an active member of the Neurological Health Charities of Canada 
and the National Population Health Study of Neurological Conditions. Bev has more letters behind her name than you do, Howard. Don't. No. <laughs> Oh, just kidding. <laughs> there, there you go. Um, Bev is also an executive member of the board of the International Huntington's Association and uh, acting as vice president currently. Uh, Bev's received the Health Charities of Canada Award of Distinction and recognition of leadership and outstanding support to the charitable health sector. And uh, kind of the final feather in the cap. Uh, is in 2016, Bev received the American Society of Human Genetics Advocacy Award together with Senator James Cowan. This award is in recognition of facilitating public awareness of genetic issues and for work done to move the protection of genetic test information forward in Canada. So, Bev, we're just so um, thrilled and pleased to have you here. Welcome to Master Your Life. Thank you very much, Leah. Thanks very much for that introduction. It is totally my pleasure to be here. I'm excited about this. Yeah, and I just think there's just a, such a huge education piece. Uh, I'd just really like to start right at the top with what is genetic discri- discrimination anyway? What is it? So genetic discrimination happens when people are treated unfairly due to an actual or a perceived difference in their genetic information that may or may cause a, the risk of a future disorder or disease. So many individuals face genetic discrimination based on a predisposition or a familial potential to a genetic disease until they prove through a genetic genetic test that they do not have a certain mutation in their genome. And so, so with that, why do some people say that it paralyzes the advancement of science and medicine? So probably best to give a couple of examples. I'll start with an actual example of somebody who has experienced genetic discrimination. And and this is in the Huntington disease world. So a young man, healthy uh, right now, in his early 20s, was in his first career job. He came into work on a Thursday. He was upset. He had just found out that he carried the mutation for Huntington disease. His employer asked him why he was upset. He said, I just found out this information. That was on a, that was on a Thursday. The young man uh, came back into work on Monday morning, and he was fired from his job. The employer said, I'm concerned for my equipment. The young man was a web designer. And where he has the mutation, he won't get Huntington disease for 20 or 30 years. So that was devastating to him. There's an example. Or in, in the BRCA world, a young mom uh, expecting her second child. She was already approved for insurance. She found out her own mother had breast cancer and subsequently with a genetic test found to, to carry the BRCA mutation. This young woman phoned her broker and said, I want to have a genetic test to understand if I carry the BRCA mutation as well. And her insurance was rescinded. Because of that. So uh, now, how does it in, how does it paralyze science? Dr. Ronnie Cohen, who is chief of genetics or now chief of pediatrics at Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto, um, Canada, he was doing a study, and it was a genetic study. So young young children who were presenting with what could be a genetic disease and could not be treated until they identified what genetic disease it was were given the option, their parents were given the option of these children having either a genetic test or full genome sequencing so that they could treat their child. 35% of parents refused because they were afraid of 
genetic discrimination against the other children in the family. That's where it paralyzes science. Now, presumably, with the advancement of different types of genetic testing, this is becoming more and more of a problem, I presume, right? Oh, absolutely. In in fact, you know, a, a little over 13 years ago, we had 100 genetic tests. Now there's over 33,000. And there are identified now 6,000 genetic diseases. And, and many diseases, if you know about it early enough, they can pre- mm. be prevented. So early diagnosis can lead to prevention of the disease, early treatment of the disease, or long-term management of the disease before the damage is even done. Mm-hmm. And I know that there, when you say the number of tests of that, some of those tests are really reliable and, and other ones of the tests are not necessarily. So can you speak a little bit to that if people are thinking about what is this whole genetic testing thing and how accurate is it? Yeah, and, and I, I would say that, that there are very few monogenetic diseases. Um, Huntington disease is an example of a monogenetic disease. It's on the fourth chromosome. It's the CAG repeats. You can see from a genetic test that, that somebody has the mutation for Huntington disease. But many other diseases are multifactorial. It's more than one biomarker on the genome. And depending on a lot of things, including environmental factors, it may or may not lead to that disease in the future. That's why we say making definitive decisions based on genetic testing or full genome sequencing is not reliable because the results are really not that predictable at this point in time. However, they do give indicators so people can prevent a disease that they may have some of the biomarkers for. Yeah, it's just sort of like dichotomous thinking that, oh, well, if you've got any sort of genetic market, oh, well, boy, you're going to get it, whereas that is not necessarily the case, as you've rightly pointed out. Knowing that means, in some cases, I'm sure, you can actually prevent the disease. So I can see that being a problem. Leah, I have a question for you. I know that you did your um, test. Did did issues of discrimination, Did you were you even aware of that? Was that factor at all into your thinking? Yeah, I think that, well, in my experience, that um, I grew up in a family that didn't necessarily require other insurance because we, you know, well, I don't know if that was an issue. My dad was a farmer and we just didn't, we just really didn't get sick a whole lot. So my mom had uh, insurance, so my dad didn't get insured, did not get tested until he was in his 50s. Uh, for Huntington's disease and um, was not diagnosed until he was in his 50s. So I was long out of the house by then and on my own. And I've, I've always owned my own business as well. So, um, But to buy health care, health insurance has been impossible for me or life insurance for me or for my yeah. kids. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that's also been part of why I've always been a contractor, though, as well, is because I haven't wanted to disclose um, that to my employers because they may go, um, they may judge or evaluate how I do my profession, which has been executive coaching and, and life coaching. That <laughs> so they might go, oh, that's a great idea, but what if it's just crazy and she's crazy? You know, <laughs> so <laughs> so it has affected how I engaged in employment and with the employment market for sure. Thank you for asking that, Howard. 
And there was a, a really great woman that we had met, um, that I met probably about eight years ago, uh, and she is Bryn Stainsby, and her case was always very interesting to me. And maybe, Bev, you probably are familiar with that. Oh, my goodness, and, and that case keeps going on. So um, th- this is a, uh, a young chiropractor graduated, and she uh, went to get life insurance so that she could practice, because you, you need that, um, before she could practice in her profession. And she was denied because she was from a Huntington family, and until she proved through a genetic test that she did not have the mutation, they would not give her life insurance. So reluctantly, she took the genetic test. She proved that she did not have the mutation, and um, she did get life insurance after a, a long period of time. But just recently, she wanted to, she was offered uh, an opportunity to buy into the practice, so she yeah. had to up her life insurance. She went back to her insurers to up her life insurance, and they uh, said, well, we can do it, maybe, but we need another genetic test to prove you still do not, do not have Huntington disease, which is wow. ridiculous. That's insane, isn't it? So it, it finally took a phone call from her doctor, her physician, to say, you are wasting health care dollars. She does not need another genetic test. But the challenge is, and we found this out uh, with many people have experienced the same that have spoken about genetic discrimination and have been upfront with media, they're now asking that, that we don't ask them to share their name because their family members are asking them to please not speak to media anymore. Because, as you yeah, say, not, it's not just the ramifications for the person, but it could could affect their whole family. It is affecting their whole family. So by talking about it, their whole f- other employers, the insurance, they're connecting the dots, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, and just for just for um, Bryn to have been forced to have gone. Like, really, in order for her to have um, been able to practice what she went to school for. Uh, and, and I know when people are listening, they may go, oh, well, like, she got a negative result, so that's all good. But the, the process <laughs> of actually going through that testing and being forced to go, and, um, you know, even though she was, was negative, there's still all of the emotional roller coaster that she and her parents definitely and family would have gone through. Um, and so it isn't just as easy as, uh, oh, she was a lucky, you know, <laughs> no, she was lucky. It was she, a whole story that went behind that. She tested. Yeah. You know, that, that, has, that has impact on the family. That has impact on other siblings. That, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, there, there's huge impact in that. There was a young man, and he was a geneticist, actually, and they were having their first child, and, and he applied for life insurance to sort of line up their financial future, and he was turned down because his grandmother died at a very early age of ALS, and the insurance company came back and said, no, your grandmother died of ALS. Now, his parents have well outlived, or his parent, who was the, the, the child of that grandparent, 
has well outlived the lifespan of that grandparent, and nobody in the family is showing symptoms. So ALS, there's about, I think it's about a 17% genetic component to it, but other than that, it's, there are other, it's multifactorial, there are other components. So they came back and said, no, we're, we're denying your insurance, but we'll reopen the file if you get a genetic test. So you've mentioned a few diseases, um, Bev, like ALS and the, the breast cancer or ovarian cancer, the Huntington's. What are other, um, you know, what are, who are the other people that are kind of in coalition um, to help with this, getting some laws passed? Uh, so uh, muscular dystrophy, mm-hmm. um, Alzheimer's, cystic fibrosis. Uh, a, a couple of organizations, uh, Foundation Fighting Blindness, a couple of organizations like SIJA, uh, the Center for Israeli and Jewish Affairs, because the um, Jewish community have um, often have genetic diseases. They they have a, that concern, and the world the World Seek organization. So it's beyond some disease groups as well to communities of people who are impacted by not protecting genetic information. Yeah, and it's it's very concerning that here we have the potential of getting information that could be incredible value in avoiding disease, um, lengthening life, the quality of life, and yet here's this huge downside that as soon as you've done that and it's potentially public information, it can be used against you. Um, very concerning, very concerning. When we come back on the other side of Master Your Life, we'll continue to explore that particular issue and what can be done about it and what is being done about protecting genetic information on the other side of Master Your Life. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. 
Welcome back to Master Your Life, the show that gives you insight, inspiration, and intelligence on the things that matter to, to you. And today we're very fortunate to be speaking with Bev Heim Myers, who is an expert in, if you will, the many different manifestations and implications of genetic testing. And in the first part of the show, we were talking about some of the discrimination, some of, uh, to me, uh, hearing about this really for the first time, some of the horrendous discrimination that goes with getting genetic testing, uh, which would be a serious, serious detriment to the advancement of the science. I mean, think about it. If people fear that their genetic information is going to not only disrupt their lives, but maybe the lives of their entire family, there's going to be a lot of reluctance to engage in what potentially is a life-saving procedure. So, Bev, what... What is being done to try to reverse this genetic discrimination and protect genetic information? So we've been working on it for a long time. The, the current landscape is right now Canada is the only G7 country that does not explicitly protect our citizens against genetic discrimination. Um, our, our law actually requires health information, which includes, it, it requires insurers to gather health information, which includes genetic test information. So right now, what we've, uh, did our, clearly our legislation is inadequate, but we have had some successes. We uh, developed the coalition, started the Coalition for Genetic Fairness in 2008, and now we're 20 organizations and growing. Uh, it's a nonpartisan issue. All parties have tabled bills to address genetic discrimination, but none of those bills have come forward. Uh, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner in Canada made a statement in 2014 urging the life and health insurance industry to refrain from requesting access to existing genetic test results. Uh, the federal Senate Bill S-201, this is our most promising bill right now, and it unanimously made it through the Senate, and now it's in the House. Uh, we, it has made it past second reading. It, it's made it past debate. It was in the stand, referred to the Standing Committee of Justice and Human Rights, and now they will bring it back to the House. There's two more stages to bring it back to the House for report and debate, and then third reading. So that's the most promising bill to date. Ontario also has a bill, Bill 30, to add genetic characteristics to the Human Rights Act. Uh, that bill has made it unanimously past second reading. The Chief Commissioner of Human Rights and the Office of the Privacy Commissioner both support robust protection for genetic test information. So we've come a long way. It's, it's certainly been an uphill grind, and we're not there yet, and genetic test information is not yet protected. But we, we are getting there, and both the scientific and medical community is standing right beside us, which is exciting. The insurance industry is still pushing back very hard, but it's important to realize that this is far beyond insurance. They will survive. And so, with, so with the insurance industry, are they actually the biggest adversary to having the, the laws changed in the, into the favor of genetic protection, or are Absolutely. there other, other adversaries? 
It's mostly the insurance industry because to date they've had access to this information um, for for many years since the Genome Project started in the early 1990s. So the insurance industry has always had access to it and they feel that it is their right to have access to it. They feel that if individuals ha- know that they have a, a potential for a future disease, then they will take out insurance policies that are huge. The reality is that in the UK that protects genetic test information and has since 1995, that has not happened. There was a fear from the insurance industry that that would happen, but it hasn't. People did not rush out and get huge policies because, quite frankly, it's not a good investment and it's very expensive. But what has happened is the rates in the UK have actually gone down because individuals are proactively taking care of their health. Right. Yes, I was going to ask you what other countries have done because it sounded like Canada was a little behind some of these countries in their legislation. Is the sort of thing that you referenced in the UK sort of common in other countries? Yeah, the the European Union, the UK, um, the US, and many other countries all have protection for genetic test information. There is a study done, um, uh, international perspectives, looking at 37 countries. Of those 37 countries, 17 have passed genetic discrimination legislation, and a total of 27 have other protections, including the legislation, or may include the legislation, but moratoriums on uh, not using genetic test information. Hmm. So Canada is behind many countries. Hard to believe because we're so ahead of many countries in so many other ways. <laughs> well, and, and you know, our Canadians don't believe it. There was a, an opinion poll done in 2003. It was an opinion poll done by the federal government. And the question was asked, do you believe that in the insurance industry and employers should have access to your genetic test information? 91% of individuals said no. We, they should not have access to that information. And I believe that 91% of Canadians feel they don't have access to that information. So they believe the myth that, they're, that it doesn't actually exist. Exactly. Hmm. That's changing as, as we educate more people and more people are being impacted by it. And that will change rapidly as we understand more diseases that are, in fact, genetic Mm-hmm. And we were, so we were talking about um, in the U.S. that they have protection um, and that many of our listeners are in the States. But we have listeners worldwide on this show, and thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, they, they, so from the worldwide perspective, um, we want people to understand that they may have legislation in their countries, but it may not, in fact, cover you as much as you think. Is, that, is there some correctness to that in terms of the U.S. population? I would say there's some correctness to that in terms of the U.S., yes. In 2008, GINA, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, was passed. That was at the federal level. And that act, um, where the original advocates for that wanted it to include life insurance, disability insurance, and health insurance, in the end, the insurance industry would not stand beside it if it included life and disability insurance. So Gina went through only protecting health insurance 
against um, individuals knowing of genetic discrimination, uh, genetic information. Since then, 24 states have implemented more robust protection that includes life and disability insurance. But the challenge with that is if you move from one state that protects it to another state that doesn't, you're no longer protected. So it's a patchwork, which is why in Canada we're trying not to have that happen. And part of Bill S-201 is an overriding genetic non-discrimination act, which would impact all provinces and territories. It, It impacts all of Canada because it addresses the act of genetic discrimination and ending that behavior. And it criminalizes it, actually, the behavior of genetic discrimination. So that's within the criminal law power of our federal government to be able to uh, pass a law that protects individuals from bad behaviors of other individuals. So if we had that right across Canada, that would, then everybody would know they're protected. And then in each province, as human rights legislation was implemented in each province, like it is in Ontario, and hopefully it will, adding genetic characteristics to the Human Rights Act, that gives even stronger protection. Because you don't always want to take it through a criminal court system. You might want to take it through the civil system. Now, presumably this is going to succeed. I'm just wondering, I mean, I understand why the insurance industry might um, be lobbying against it. Are there any other interests that really don't want to see this come into force? Well, I I would say, although they haven't lobbied strongly against it, but employers are now adding uh, genetic testing to their benefits packages. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And in in the U.S., um, it's they're adding it to benefits packages, and they have wellness programs now. So this is a bit of a this is one of the holes that's been created by not having uh, legislation right across to protect individuals. So they want their employees in the U.S. to participate in wellness programs, which includes genetic testing. And if the employee mm. is refusing to get a genetic test they are being penalized by increased insurance premiums. Premiums. Yeah, yeah. it's just amazing. And I think what's, uh, it's like if people had the scope of actually how much resistance has to occur in order for something like this legislation to have been tabled for so long. Um, because how many years has this um, you know, a fight been going on for, Bev? Oh, well, for... I've been working on it directly for six years. Um, I've been working very closely with Senator Cowan for four years, and Bill S-201 is the third adaptation of that bill. Because And and remember, when a government changes, Mm. when the government was prorogued at one point, government has changed hands, every time that happens, we have to go out and re-educate if we can't get it through within a certain time frame. So you're constantly re-educating. Yeah. So all of, so in the Huntington's community, and I imagine other communities, people, it's kind of we wait on tender hooks for these um, things to pass, and uh, that and so it's been a very much an ongoing conversation in our community and in our families and in our and our kids' supper tables. You know, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And and I imagine just how frustrating it must be to you know, and and also I. I I appreciate how 
you are so optimistic and positive about um, that there is going to be an effective change, and uh, you have done something really pretty miraculous in getting the science and medicine people to the table with you. Is that a relatively new thing? Uh, they've been involved for about three years and most actively involved in the last year and a half. But, but you, you, we look at um, clinicians. We, we look at geneticists. We, we look at um, physicians. It, it's, it's so important that they can have access to this information and not put anybody at risk for having access to it. I mean, they want to find genetic connections to the diseases for for the greater good, and it it doesn't feel good if they're putting a whole community of people at risk. It's it's important to protect this information, to move science forward, and to move um, medicine forward. And in science, if we do not protect genetic test information, individuals will not step forward for clinical trials. You, you look That's at, right. Uh, yeah, Leah, we look at Huntington disease, mm-hmm. and we, we look at the Huntington-lowering drug to, to lower the Huntington production. That's in worldwide clinical trials right now. There's only 36 people participating because it's still mm. in Phase one clinical trials. But there's been no adverse reactions. There's been no safety issues. That research, we hope, makes it to phase two and phase three, but we need more people participating in clinical trials when it gets to the later phases of clinical studies, and if people are afraid, they're not going to come forward. Mm-hmm. No, I, I really understand why the scientific and medical community would be absolutely on your side, because this threatens to completely derail and delay significantly, if not postpone altogether, progress being made. Absolutely. Because, as you rightly say, here's a clinical trial, should have thousands of people in it. But understandably, given the environment you're talking about, people are not going to want to participate because there's a real risk to them. And it's insane. But I understand yeah. why it's there. As, uh, as Dr. Ronnie Cohen says, it paralyzes science and medicine. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's no question about that. And that's very worrying because what that means is if progress is stymied, then you know that advances that would save people's lives, improve people's lives, are going to be delayed, you know, maybe indefinitely. And, and you know, treatment is delayed as well. So when we look at, at this, this study that I mentioned earlier where young children who are presenting with, with a genetic disease or who could be presenting before it can be treated, they need to know if they do have that genetic disease. Even if they don't have the treatment now for an identified genetic disease, they will. They will. Yes, Whether that's, that's right. Two weeks that's from right. now, two months yep. from now, a year from now. So how advantageous is it to that for that child to be into a database to say, okay, here I am. When this treatment is available, then you can contact them and they get the medicine they need. Yes, and I so and you hit on a really key point about the when people quit talking um, and sharing their information with their doctors, they stop talking in their families also about the disease because they don't see there being progress. So people don't support each other to go into studies. Um, they don't support as cohorts giving information. 
uh, to help. Uh, and, and if a community of people is talking about their experiences of a disease outside of um, just the, you know, straight-up testing sort of pieces, there is a lot more healing that happens just in the community. So, so the importance of people understanding the whole privacy thing uh, cannot be um, uh, emphasized enough that if doctors and clinicians actually had the ability to say, everything that I get from you is going to be protected, um, people could open up conversations not only with their doctors but within the community and within their families, which would lead to healing and the wellness that we really proactively are trying to get people to take um, in their life and, in, and on this show. So when we come back after the break, we're going to talk with more with Dr. Howard Rankin and Bev Heim-Myers about genetic discrimination and what is going on in the world right now that is moving these things forward. So we'll see you back after the break. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Madison, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Dr. Howard Rankin. And today, along with my host, Leah Manson, we're talking with Bev Heim-Myers about the very, very important issue of genetic discrimination, that how information about your genetics, which could be really critical in shaping your life, saving your life, can be used against you, thus making people very reluctant to participate in things like clinical research trials, which are essential, even um, even treatments, even community groups. And just before the break, Leah was talking about how that can shut down a family's discussion about a genetic condition. And Bev, you have some data on that, I think? Uh, yeah. You know, there, there's not a lot of evidence-based research, but Dr. Yvonne Bombard who is seen as as an individual who has looked at this and very credible with her research. 
she's published a couple of papers on, on genetic discrimination and the behaviors and the impact that it has on individuals. And in one of her papers, the, um, the broader impact of genetic discrimination among individuals, 86% of the study, 86% of the participants in the study fear genetic discrimination, and it influences their behavior patterns. And it can also result in high levels of stress. Of that 86%, more than half of them experience genetic discrimination themselves. But an interesting point is, of that 86%, most, and I believe it was around 67%, fear genetic discrimination more for their children and their family members than themselves, which leads to behaviors like not talking about the disease, like not letting people know the disease that's in their family, which actually robs people from making informed decisions about uh, having children, um, reproduction, uh, their careers. I mean, it, it just takes that opportunity away from them, and it's all based out of fear. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes the families have even... Um, the, the person who is genetically positive, I'll just speak for myself, but um, that said, I know that there's people who don't tell their kids that they potentially could get sick, and then the kid experiences this sick parent and is trying to caretake and not understand what's going on. Have you seen that, Bev? Yes. Yes, absolutely. In fact, that just happened with uh, a member in our community, and, and she, uh, her mom was getting sick, and she had no idea what was happening. She, she had just given birth to her first child. Her mom mm-hmm. was getting sick. She had absolutely no idea what was happening. And then she actually went onto our website and read some of the symptoms of Huntington disease and realized what her mom had. It was never talked about in the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's the tragedy, isn't it, is that the help, the communication, the care that could be got, gained uh, is being sacrificed um, through this discrimination. And, um, you know, God bless you for you making this. I don't know it's your life's work, but it's certainly a very important part of your life and your career. And honestly, I can't think of anything that would be more important given the extent of the damage that's being done, you know. Let's let's be honest. The damage that's being done. You you will hear me where you are, Howard. Give a huge howl when mm-hmm. this goes through. No oh, good. Yeah. Well, I wait. I, I will look forward to that. I will get up every day, um, yeah, hoping listen, I will hear that howl. Leah will hear it too. Yes. Yes, you, you and we'll be sharing it. right along with you. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be, we'll be sharing it. You know, one of the things that is very concerning to me as I listen to this and really try to wrap my brain around it is, yes, there are conditions that are 100% genetic, right? But as genetic testing improves, I'm sure we're going we're gonna to have a genetic sort of factor for almost any condition, you know? Well, that condition's always about 26% genetic, or that's 18%, or that's this, which is, of course, an oversimplification. But if this discrimination continues, you can see that employers and insurance are going to say, oh, but you've got a genetic predisposition to that. We're not going to fill in the blank. And, I mean, that's scary. 
And it, it's um, so much of it is based on perception. So much of it is based on fear of the employer who fires somebody on a Monday because they found out about a disease and went into the web to look at what that disease was all about. There, there's so there's a lot of ignorance when it comes to understanding the genome, and it's the life work of so many brilliant people, and they'll say still that it creates more questions than answers. But we are experiencing a massive information opportunity here. This, the, the genome projects, the genome sequencing is just exploding, and it, it's, it's not right to have genetic discrimination stand in the way of that information benefiting all people and the health and well-being of all people. So can you, it sounds very Star Trek-y, so can you maybe just explain to the listenership, what is a genome project? What does that actually mean? So the genome project started in um, 1990, where all the countries got together and they were starting, they wanted to sequence as many genomes as they could, because that gives us a very good understanding of disease and um, actually environment and disease too. You know, mm -hmm. if there's a higher prevalence of some disease in certain areas and um, you, you, the epidemiology of it, it, it just helps understand disease and disease treatment. The more people that you can do, so the genome sequencing is the full genome. We talk about genetic tests, which um, now the norm is for genome sequencing. Five years ago, genome sequencing was $5,000. Now it's $1,000. So rather than do one genetic test to target one disease or one or two diseases, you do full genome sequencing so that you know um, what the multifactorial uh, biomarkers are for different diseases and how we can prevent disease, et cetera. So uh, full genome sequencing is part of the genome project and, and, and people volunteering to do that and, and add to the, the big data that we have. And that will lead to answers. The more you have, the more answers you will have. Yeah, and the concern that, again, about that is um, clearly what we're going to find, which is going to be amazing, is the sort of epigenetic information, the the relationship and the interrelationship between environmental factors and genes and how that works. Um, and unfortunately, that's that's a kind of a complex concept. Uh, people like simplicity. They are dichotomous thinking. Uh, Bev, you don't know me, but, but I'm really, all my brand is I think, therefore I'm wrong, which is, you know, the simplicity that people seek. And the danger of this stuff is it's not simple. It's going to say, yes, some of this is genetic, but there's really, it's an interaction between, you know, these lifestyle factors and that. And the danger is that that, information will be misinterpreted and misperceived um, to everyone's detriment, really. Yeah, unless we protect it. Absolutely. Which That's is exactly why, right. why we need to protect this information. And so ultimately, when it, it's like, do we have the substructures in place to protect information when 
when the when the bell rings and the you know roar goes across <laughs> that the that the <laughs> legislation has been passed in Canada, does that have a ripple out to the bigger world? And do we have the infrastructure in place in Canada and the rest of the world to actually hold this genetic information in in complete privacy? Well, I'd like to say yes, but there are many databases. There's a lot of big data um, mm-hmm. beyond the the genome sequencing and, and getting access to that information. To criminalize using this information against individuals will have a huge impact, and it will be a deterrent. So that's what we want. We want a deterrent. We want people to just not ask for the information because the price paid is too big. And I do believe that Bill S-201 will achieve that if it is passed intact with the three components of the bill. That's, so that's critical. The, the so would one of the components be, just because it's on the top of my mind, so would one of the components of the bill be, um, for example, that an employer who knows uh, let, I'll use myself again as the example. An employer who knows that I have Huntington's, or I'm gene positive for Huntington's, um, would also be able to easily figure out that my children are at risk. So the idea of having the legislation passed is that at no time could that employer hold that information against my children. Right. Or, or oh, the, employer could, the employer could not ask for that information. The employer could not ask you to get a genetic test. The employer could not... Um, use the results of a genetic test to punish you. Or if you choose, if you don't share the information, they can't punish you. So that information is yours. You do not have to share it. So what advice would you give, Bev, for somebody who is or, or, or where Leah was in terms of should she take this test for Huntington's disease, what advice would you give to people in that situation? If we have listeners now um, who are concerned about um, some genetic condition, what would you say to them? You know, I, I even with genetic information being protected or not, understanding that you have a genetic mutation is is a very personal thing. People sometimes need to know because they want to live the rest of their life. People sometimes don't want to know because they want to live the rest of their life. Right. <laughs> so I, 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 would, I would not give advice to that. I, I would give information. I would say before you go down this road, understand what your rights are. Understand that in Canada anyway, this information is not protected. If you do want to get a genetic test, make sure you line up all your insurance before you get that done. Well, because so, even when they do, though, if uh, line up the insurance before it's done, my understanding is that the insurance also can, if they find out, that you, you um, uh, are gene positive for Huntington's anyway, that they can walk away from that policy. They don't need to honor it. Like, what's it, your understanding of that? Um, the, the only way they would walk away from it is if mm-hmm. you had information prior to signing that policy yourself, mm-hmm. if you had information that you withheld from them. 
if you had no idea of your genetic status and you had a genetic test after your insurance was lined up, uh, they now their regulations say that that they would not rescind your insurance because of that. In the case of the BRCA gene that I talked about earlier where the young woman said to her broker that she was going to get a test because she wanted to proactively manage her health going forward, she didn't have her insurance policy in hand yet. That's why they rescinded it. If she had it in her hand, then they they say they wouldn't have done anything. So, Leah, I don't know. Um, but the, the insurance industry does say that if you didn't have that information ahead of time and you applied for life insurance and you got the life insurance and then you found that information out after the fact, that they would not go back on it. Well, that's wonderful information for people who are listening to the show who may, you know, have to take that or are thinking about taking that into consideration. Young parents who don't necessarily have... Uh, insurance in place yet, or young young people who maybe don't have that. I think that's great information for people to have to get their life insurance in place before they, um, you know, go down the path of that. This. So we only have a couple of minutes left, Beth. What is, it, is what are your kind of closing and parting thoughts that you would like to leave people with in terms of genetic discrimination? Uh, I, I'd like people to. Um Call, call, if, if people are in the U.S. listening to it, people in Canada listening, phone uh, your relatives in Canada, let them know that this is, Bill S-201 is on the table. It's important for all MPs in Canada to know that as Canadians, we support Bill S-201 in its entirety. We support protecting genetic test information, and we support the health and well-being of all Canadians. And finally, Bev, is there is there any um, website or resource where people can go and check on the progress or updates on this issue? Yes, there's the, uh, the Canadian Coalition for Genetic Fairness. You can search for that, and, uh, and our website will come up. And you can also get it through um, the Huntington Society of Canada's website. You can get absolutely. to the genetic. Right. Uh, absolutely wonderful interviewing you, uh, Bev, and having you on the show for this very, very critical um, and important conversation that not only applies to Canadians, but to also... Um, people in other countries who maybe aren't 100% protected uh, with their genetic uh, information, and also for family living far and wide of people who are dealing with this issue in Canada, this wonderfully progressive com- country that seems to have put its the binders on for a very, very um, uh, not very worthy um, um, situation for people. So, again, we thank you for your wisdom, your insight, and your intelligence. And, Howard, do you have anything to say as we close the show? No, thank you so much, Bev. I think this has been incredibly valuable, thought-provoking, and I wish you all the best, and I will be waiting to hear for your howl to know that this bill has actually passed. Well, thank you very much for having me. I truly appreciate the opportunity to to broaden the awareness of this, and, and thank you for giving that opportunity to me. Well, thank you so much, and we just uh, hope everyone has a wonderful week, and join us next week on Master Your Life. Thank you for being a part of our show today. 
Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.